0: Welcome to the One in Eight Podcast, here where you find all things faith and concerning infertility. You'll also find ways to overcome on your journey. So grab a friend and tune in on all streaming platforms. Welcome to today's episode of One in Eight Podcast. I am your host, Janae, and I am One in Eight. On today's episode, we have the great Mrs. Dr. Lachelle Barmore, primary
1: care physician. Thank you for joining us today. How are you? I am well. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you so much for answering the call with a yes when I called and asked you, would you join us today to talk about a little bit the medical aspect of um, just kind of screening and um, what are the questions that or starts the process before they may reach um a specialist, which is a endocrine um endocrinologist, reproductive specialist, uh R E. Mm-hmm.
1: Reproductive Refo- and endocrinology.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So before you get to that point, kind of want to discuss what we should be looking for um, before we hit what they call that. And I hate this word so much or this phrase so much because it it makes me feel like you're 85. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Um, But mm -hmm. when they refer to you as um, geriatric.
1: (laughs) That is such a rude name. I mean, it makes
0: you feel so old. Um, But that's uh, after the age of 35, right? That's correct. So um, just want to kind of get a feel of what, Uh, Women should be asking their doctors um, if they decided to wait until after uh, 35 or if they got married after 35 and um, having a baby was put on the table or maybe their career had them traveling a lot and Mm -hmm. um, having a baby was put on the back burner. So I kind of want to ask a few questions of, you know, where do you start? Like what even if you're not over 35, but where do you start um, if you've gotten to that point of, okay, we are looking to have a baby. Like, where do we start? So if, you know, let's just say hypothetical. This is the example for today. Um, a couple just got married. They're in their early 30s. Should the woman be taking prenatal vitamins even, you know, as they're actively trying
1: to have a baby? Absolutely. And, you know, I honestly feel like that prior to deciding that we are now at the point that we want to conceive a little one, Mm -hmm. that it is so important that we think about what our own, own health issues may or may not be and kind of understanding our partner's issues and like family history Um, different genetic disorders that could be a potential and like you said even something as simple as taking prenatal vitamins because most people that don't you know encounter any issues are about six to eight weeks pregnant before they even are aware Mm -hmm. and that's the time that the um, neuro neural organ systems begin to form. So folic acid and things like that need to be upped a bit during that time frame before we're ever even aware. So I really suggest that all women that are of reproductive age um, that are menstruating regularly and sexually active should likely be on a prenatal vitamin. Um, So remember that the prenatals do have a little bit of extra folic acid, and that's exactly what we need to uh make sure that we're prepared to form you know those spinal cords and brains and things of that nature and i think a conversation that we don't often have and it actually used to be a requirement in the state of Alabama that prior to marriage you had to have certain tests done
0: i remember i remember that like in the 80s or 90s mm-hmm. coming up mm-hmm. when people got married i remember them having to be blood tested mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. it just kind of went away.
1: It did. And I think, you know, there's there's reasons that maybe it should have gone away. But I think that when we are in a scenario where we're planning – Um, for pregnancy, that those are not bad things to do. Uh, The specifics of making sure that you know, do I carry the sickle cell trait? Do I carry the beta thalassemia trait? There's I'm I'm sorry, what is that? (laughs) Uh Uh-oh, I I went nerdy. Yes, you did. I'm like, um, yeah, I'm not a doctor. I I got (laughs) you. Slow me down because I get excited about these things. But when we talk about thalassemia, or let's back up to sickle cell trait specifically, Yes, that those types of um, what we call hemoglobinopathies are things that genetically change the way that our blood cells look, so to speak. Yes, And that makes it so that some can't carry hemoglobin as well or things of that nature. And the one that we seem to be really, really aware of is the sickle cell trait, but thalassemia is another one or hemoglobin C. There's a whole bunch of them out there that um, we just aren't aware of. And those are things that are important that if, you know, from a genetic perspective to make sure that we're meeting a mate that doesn't carry that same trait so that we don't end up with children that are affected. And I mean, again, that's not to say absolutely don't, if you, you fall in love with somebody that's got the trait, right? you just want to make sure that you understand what your risk factors are that, you know, from that perspective, there's a... A one in four chance that your kiddo will be affected with sickle cell disease and and just kind of being aware of those things. And I think outside of just the genetic component, because um, everyone has to be screened at birth. So, you know, there's ways of digging back to see, do I have those traits but also just being healthy, just, you know, what uh, does my cholesterol look like? You yeah, know, absolutely. What do, do my blood sugars look like? Are my blood pressures okay? Am I anemic? Um, am I vitamin D deficient? That all of those things are important in regards to preparing ourselves for, for conception.
0: Yeah, I think sometimes um, we don't think about all of the things that you just mentioned Prior to even thinking about having children, mm-hmm. um, even down to, you know, what we're intaking into our body, you know, in the South, everything is fried and dyed and everything fried. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. It tastes good. Though. <laughs> it tastes say. good,
0: but everything <laughs> is fried and dyed and fried and dyed yeah. again.
1: <laughs> and so um,
0: it's just kind of something that we don't, I, you know, we don't really think about, you know, everything that shapes, what we're trying to get into or where we're trying to go. So you mentioned a little bit about family history. So is that something that um, a couple um, should consider or, um, look into when they are conceiving or looking to conceive, or the woman's history. Should she, you know, sometimes this is not something that we discuss, but you know, asking your mother or if your your grandmother, if they're still living, um, you know, did you have any miscarriages? Did you have to have a hysterectomy at an early age? Um, did you do, you do? you have a history of fibroids? Mm-hmm. Um, did you start menopause at an early age? Like all of these things are things that we need to know that we probably don't ask. So, how important is your your family history and even on both sides, um, mm-hmm. you know, for the male the male factor of infertility, but also for the woman, how important, you know, is knowing your um family history when it comes to, you know, G-Y-N.
1: Mm-hmm. And, you know, and honestly, it's it's very important. And I think that you are absolutely correct that it's, it's so hard even when you go to the doctor's office, you circle a couple of things. And it's like, what does that really mean? You know, right. Is this something that's pertinent for me to understand or be aware of and and what difference does it make, you know, when it comes to my, my ability to conceive and, you know, what types of issues that I should be aware of now, you know, and and not to say that every situation from a family perspective is always a genetic hand down situation because Mm -hmm. we're talking about two embryo or two different genetic components coming together. And some of the issues they may have had could have been just because of their matchup. But just being aware, I think, is really, really important because things like polycystic ovarian syndrome, you know, just understanding, is there the chance that I have that and what I need to be preparing for going in? Do I need to be watching my sugars more tightly? Do I need to be doing things of that nature just to make sure that my body is absolutely prepared? And again, you know, men don't realize, too, that, you know, there are certain genetic issues that they can have. Maybe they only have one X uh, or excuse me, one Y. You know, there's, there's a lot of different things that we just don't ask questions about. And I think that there's some degree of shame um, and it's a really odd place to be that, you know, fertility and I I, and I purposely say fertility, not necessarily infertility. I think mm-hmm. we have to be really careful about our nomenclature as well. But when we're talking about those issues, people tend to blame themselves. Yes. And it's like there's no shame in this. Let's right. talk about what health issues I have so that I can make them better and be prepared to Absolutely. conceive and know what the process is that I'm going to have to take, because yes, it is on both sides. You know, if we have a low sperm count or uh, have sperm that don't have great motility medications that can cause that, that that's all things that we need to be aware of and it's okay to discuss.
0: So you mentioned something and I, and I learned about this, how many people are affected by this. Often you hear a lot about fibroids, but I am learning just, from being on social media, like the amount of women that suffer from um, PCOS. Um,
1: Like, is that a genetic, is that something genetic? So there's a lot of kind of controversy going around about the PCOS scenario.
0: So you mentioned something earlier when you were talking about um, some of the issues that could arise. And I have been seeing a lot about PCOS on, you know, just from being on this journey. And um, what exactly is, is PCOS more of a genetic issue or is it just kind of happens kind of like fibroids? Mm.
1: So uh, there's a lot of controversy about the specifics of that, but we do feel like that there is indeed some genetic component. So thinking in terms of like, prediabetes which PCOS is one of the qualifiers of that that if there's a genetic predisposition for people to have prediabetes and diabetes that is kind of the same scenario from a PCOS perspective as well but the other side of it is that you know a two hit theory so to speak that yes you could have that genetic predisposition but that also environmental circumstances can certainly make a difference there so depending on how we eat and how active we are and what kind of lifestyles we lead seems to be a part of it as well. Now I'm not saying that everybody that has PCOS because it can initiate some weight gain and things like that, that they are absolutely just not doing things the way that they're supposed to, because it's almost one of those things. Is it the the cart before the horse or the horse before the cart? Does the PCOS trigger the weight gain and all of that stuff? Vice versa. Absolutely. So
0: Okay. Okay. I was just wondering, I had never heard of it before I was, you know, started this journey. So I was just kind of curious, you know, a little bit about, about how PCOS, you know, I've seen numerous women, um, you know, the, the symptoms of it. And I just, I didn't know much about
1: it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I find that, uh, that, the term kind of gets thrown around relatively loosely. If you mm-hmm. have irregular periods, then you probably have PCOS. And the answer is, it's, it's probably not true. But at the same time, I think that when we identify so many people that sometimes we make it an okay diagnosis and don't necessarily do anything to treat it. And I think that that's a real disservice, especially in those that are trying to prepare for conception. And it's like, you know, I get these young women that are, you know, in their early twenties that may not be ready to conceive yet, but those are conversations that we should be having because, you know, when we are 35 and it's like, now we're feeling the, the, the hurry, so to speak to, to, to conceive. And we should have been addressing your PCOS a long time Time ago ago. Mm -hmm. to make sure that when you were prepared to conceive that you're ready.
0: Since you're talking about the younger women, Kind of a segue into my next question. Um, when we're younger, in our teens, early 20s, you know, we're not thinking about having kids. So could previous health issues such as STIs, um, any other chronic health issues, can that affect your ability um, to, conci- to conceive?
1: Absolutely. And that's one of the conversations that is so challenging to have because you know we want to protect our babies and 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 not talk to them about some of the the nasty dirty things and that kind of scenario but absolutely chlamydia gonorrhea all of those types of STIs and sexually transmitted infections do change our fertility it develop; you can develop scar tissue in your your, in in your pelvic area and it just makes it more difficult for um for conception and, and 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 fertilization and all of those things to happen now it's not to say that that's the absolute reason because again when we when you say that statistic one and eight. I'm not accusing everybody of having those issues, (laughs) but the story goes that it does change us. And any infection has some degree of leftover everything there is not perfect. Now that's not to say that we cannot overcome those things but those are realities and things that we need to address that you know we talk about yes we can give you some antibiotics and cure um, the vast majority of those STIs Mm -hmm. but what happens down the road and those are questions and, 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 and things that we should be able to say this is another reason to protect yourself. It's not it's not a free world out there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned scar tissue. Um,
0: what about scar tissue, um, I guess, inhabits the the cavity of, you know, the reproductive mm-hmm. part of the woman? Mm-hmm. Like-
1: so, so remember from a, an anatomy perspective that the ovaries don't really physically touch um, the, the, the fallopian tube and they've got these like finger-like projections right. that are supposed to be wavy and they kind of grasp the egg and because they're doing this wavy thing it kind of ushers it down the tubes and it's supposed to get into the um, the upper part of the uterus to implant mm-hmm. so at any point along that way if those finger-like projections become scarred and they don't grasp and they don't move and they don't kind of send do what they need to do right
0: that all makes Mm it makes sense but when we think about the process of what it takes to conceive like I just I I think that we have this conception that oh it just happens Mm -hmm. but there is so much science there is that goes into the conception of having a baby like just just like you said the waviness you know that of what covers the ovaries. I remember being in a consult and the doctor explained to me like how they lay over. And I was like, Oh, I never knew this. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. you take, you take all these classes and you're like, Oh yeah, I know. I know what's happening. No, actually, you
1: don't. it's a lot to it. It's, I mean, to be honest, it's evidence of God, but we're just going to roll with that.
0: <laughs> right. We, we know that there is one.
1: Absolutely.
0: So we've talked about all of the, you know, what could the lifestyle, you know, your predisposition based off of, you know, maybe genetics or history. What about lifestyle Mm -hmm. as far as like exercising, the foods Mm -hmm. we eat, you know, we know having a sedentary lifestyle can affect not just fertility, but, you know, you being a diabetic or having high blood pressure Mm -hmm. or cholesterol. So if someone is trying to conceive what lifestyle um, not necessarily a diet, because I know they recommend certain diets. But if you have allergies like me, you, you just kind of just throw that <laughs> out the window. The <laughs> we could talk all day fan. about my allergies, <laughs> but that's another episode. <laughs> um, what would you recommend um, as a lifestyle if someone is actively trying to have a baby? Mm-hmm.
1: It's honestly just the lifestyle of trying your best to be healthy, um, all of the literature shows that about 150 minutes of exercise per week, and that's not a lot. Let me see this one, two,
0: three, four. <laughs> it's about four, four days, about 25 minutes. There you have it. See there? That's not bad. That's <gasps>
1: not bad. I think, I think
0: I'll take the three days at about an hour and just go ahead and kill <laughs> it.
1: Out. There you have it. There you have it. But however you can get to 150 minutes per week, that that's the way to do it. You know, and, and we think in terms of all of the things that we've talked about, but blood flow is a big deal as well. And we don't flow blood to all of the places in our body without moving it around and that's exactly what exercise does and delivers good oxygen into all of those places and that's that's the it it, it sounds really basic but that's really what it takes um, remember that we want to make sure that blood is circulating to the ovaries to make sure that the hormone numbers and levels are doing what they're supposed to do and that we ovulate at least once a month. So those are the things that it takes to make sure that we are implanting good embryos and that our uterine lining is is, is fluffy and things that it needs to be to implant a good embryo. And um, believe it or not, exercise goes a long way and even after conception we want to continue to exercise and we don't want people to start an exercise routine that have not been exercising but at that point those are the things that help for healthy pregnancies is to be exercising be previously active. absolutely okay
0: so if someone comes into your office you have a patient um and they express that um you know they've been going to their OB regularly and they're now trying to conceive, or they want to, or they've been thinking about it, um, or if they've already you know, discussed this with their, their OB, and they come to you for their just normal every six months, or if they're on a three month um, checkup, and they express to you um, that my partner and I have been trying for six months, what testing would you recommend that they ask? Or would you, at that point, refer them to an um,
1: REI um, specialist? Mm-hmm. It, it kind of really depends on what they have so-called tried. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times I think that conception's a miracle. Correct. And a lot of times the miracle that it is, I think that we don't necessarily recognize how detailed of a scenario it is and teaching them about counting their ovulation how to recognize the bodies way of even saying, Hey, I'm ovulating, um, the types of things of like, when do we have intercourse? Are we having intercourse during that ovulatory cycle? And how often are we having intercourse? Are we, you know, every day or is it every other day or, you know, working through those types of things. And then from there, I am going to do just what I would consider a full wellness panel Mm -hmm. and looking at a hemoglobin A1C or a blood sugar. Cause uh, you know, TCOS being one of the really big ones, that insulin insulin insensitivity can be a part of that. So I want to look at those things and um, if they're hyperinsulinized, looking at those numbers. Um, And then I'm going to look at thyroid. I want to look at just a blood panel just to make sure that anemia is not drawing a piece of this. Um, And vitamin D. Vitamin D is one of those things that I think we underrepresent. I think
0: um, women of color, specifically African-American women, um, historically always suffer from a vitamin D deficiency. I can remember even being in my 20s, having regular blood work done, and they're calling back and like, hey, your, blood, your vitamin D is extremely low. Mm-hmm. And so they would order like this really high number, you know, that I need to take for two weeks to bring it back up to normal. And even into my 30s hey your vitamin d is low hey your vitamin d is low so i just got to a point where i was like you know what i'm just gonna take vitamin d every day mm-hmm. <laughs> because, <laughs> because it is be it's, mm-hmm. it's, 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 i i know that's gonna happen um mm-hmm. and i don't think that's something that we take into consideration mm-hmm. as an issue with fertility
1: absolutely absolutely i read somewhere and i i, I can't quote it for sure but they say that african americans or anybody that has Melanated skin would have to spend six to eight hours naked in the sun to get enough. So clearly, well,
0: clearly, that's, yeah, that's not gonna that's work not for me. <laughs> uh, I have a sun allergy, so <laughs> <laughs> anything over 10 minutes,
1: I'm it's, it's and out you're from... still not naked, either, so <laughs> that's not gonna happen. <laughs> Absolutely, but I think that those are the simple things that we look at, and then from there, if after all of those things are obviously where they need to be. And we've discussed the, you know, the, just the hygiene, so to speak of how to get pregnant, that if it's not happening after that six months, then I am going to go ahead and send you, um, to an REI just to see what their take is as well. Okay. Okay. So do you have any other advice, um, that
0: you would give a woman who does find their self on this journey of, um, infertility once they have I guess expressed to you hey we've been trying a year Mm -hmm. um and you know what is your advice from a medical standpoint and from I guess from just being a woman you know walking in faith Mm -hmm. just what what Mm -hmm. advice would you Mm -hmm. offer
1: so the first thing that I would offer is self-care because I think that that piece of 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 fertility journeys can be so challenging because you Know people will look at you and say, You know, when are y'all gonna have that baby? And I'm like, I want to punch people in the mouth when they say that. And I'm so sorry if that's
0: we got that episode coming called Triggers. Oh, just keep keep listening Mm -hmm. for it.
1: I will listen for that. (laughs) Don't punch anybody in the mouth, that's that's what I would like to do. But you know, that those types of things make people feel so isolated and make you feel like something is wrong with me. Yes, and the more we feel like something is wrong with us, the more something becomes wrong with us. Absolutely, so I really feel like that the first thing is if this is overwhelming you, that you need to take a step back for a moment and get you a therapist and a therapist that Amen. is well-versed in what this feels like, what this journey is, because So many people will be like, oh, it's okay. just get over it or whatever. It's just going to happen. And it's like, no, you need someone to really give you real tactics and real skills as to how to walk through that. So that's number one. And after we talk about that piece and that we've got our self-care together, then I want you to make sure that we're talking about our husbands and our partners and what this is taking a toll on them and how Absolutely. I we agree. can help. It does. It, it does. And I think that when we take that step back to be able to see that, that sometimes if that is the issue is on your husband's side, that he's able to kind of help to walk through it. And now we can even identify what that issue is. And those are really the big things like, you know, let's take a step back. Let's make sure that we're in this together. And even the togetherness, sometimes they just don't understand. They don't know what to say and we don't know what to say to them. Right. And being able to work through that piece, to me, makes our journey at least where we know where to go next. You know what I mean? If that makes sense. It makes sense. It makes perfect sense. Well, I
0: thank you for your medical advice and your ear and um, all that you have offered us today. Uh, thank you for coming. Maybe you'll come back um, on another episode.
1: Bring me back whenever. <laughs> this has been
0: fun. <laughs> well, thank you for joining joining us today. And before we close, I just want to say to any woman that is listening out there that your voice is not mute. You matter and your, jo- your journey matters. So until next time, keep believing that you can overcome being one in eight.